Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. I'm really excited that we have the opportunity to gather today and to open up God's Word this Christmas season and to look with fresh eyes again at the account, the historical account of Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago, but still with incredible uh, significance for you and I today, an event that we treasure uh, around here. And as followers of Christ around the world, we treasure the events of Jesus' birth. And not only do we treasure them, but those who first saw them treasured them as well, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, Luke tells us in his gospel, chapter 2 and verse 19, he said that the events of Jesus' birth were things that Mary treasured in her heart. She stored them up. She treasured the events of the birth of her son, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And she shared those events, most likely with Luke, who then included them in the gospel so that you and I might be encouraged by treasuring Jesus as well. This Christmas season at Wildwood, we're walking through the account of Jesus' birth from Luke's gospel and seeing Mary's Christmas, Christmas from her perspective. We're looking at that. So we began that series last week by looking at the angelic announcement to Mary as Gabriel came and told her that she would give birth to the Savior of the world. We're going to continue our look at Mary's perspective on that first Christmas story today by recounting uh, Luke 1, 39 through 45, as she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth right after finding out that she's pregnant. But before we do that, I, I want us to reflect on one particular word today. And that word is this, blessing. Blessing. Now, when I just say that word blessing, and if I were to say, hey, if you want to be blessed or you want blessing, raise your hand. How many of you would raise your hand? I mean, we, we want that, right? How many of you want no part of blessing? Okay, you raise your hand. No, I'm kidding, right? But we, we want that, right? We want blessing. We want to be blessed. Honestly, the, the whole concept of being blessed or blessing has at its core this idea that there is a blesser. There is a God who interacts with his people and extends to us his grace, extends to us his blessings. This is something that we find inside of the Christmas story, and it's something that, that causes our hearts to be warmed as well and our ears to be attuned. If we talk about someone being someone who is blessed by God, we, we want to be a part of that. How does God bless people? What does it look like? What are the, the means by which his blessing comes? Who does God choose to bless? These are all questions that we have, and we need the perspective of God's word. Today, as we look at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, we're going to see that word blessing referenced several times. And as we look at it, hopefully, we will find out something more about what it means to be blessed. You know, at, at Christmas time, oftentimes we'll talk about blessings being wrapped up and presented to those who are on the nice list and blessings withheld from those who are on the naughty list. Uh, that is a, a Christmas story that is shared, but is that jive with Scripture? Is that how God chooses to bless, or is it by some other means? Is it, does it come to us in some other way than just toys and trinkets? I think it does, and as we look at Luke 1, 39 through 45, hopefully we'll gain that perspective today. 
So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. I want to read these verses for us, and then we'll back up and, and make a couple of observations about the blessing of God based on <clears throat> these verses today. Before I read them, though, I want to just remind us of the context. Verses 39 through 45 follow immediately after chapter 1 up to verse 38. And in those verses, we see Mary receiving the news that she will be the mother of Jesus, the Savior of the world. After she gets that news, the events of verse 39 take place. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now in these few verses today, I want us to see a couple of things about the blessing of God. The first thing that I want us to see is this. Blessing comes through believers. Blessing comes through believers. Now, the blessing that we're talking about is blessing that certainly comes from God. It originates from Him. It is His will, His intention, His gift. But how does the blessing of God come to us Many times. The blessing of God many times comes to us through the agency or the means of other people, specifically other, other followers of Christ. And we see that transpire inside of this story. How does God bless and care for Mary in the midst of this news that she is pregnant? He does so through the agency of another one of his followers, through the agency of her cousin, Elizabeth. Now, where do we see that inside of this story? Well, we see it beginning right there in verse 39. It says, in those days. Well, what are those days? In, in the moments right after Mary finds out that she is pregnant with Jesus. In those days, it says, Mary arose and she went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. Now, let me reconstruct maybe what happened here. Mary gets the news from Gabriel that she will conceive and, and have this child through a supernatural way. She's going to have this child, Jesus, who will be the Savior of the world, the Son of God. Well, what does she do next? It says, with haste, she takes off and she goes to the hill country of Judah. She headed for the hills. Now, what was that journey like? Well, it would have been a journey of about 50 to 70 miles from her home in Nazareth all the way down to the hill country of Judah, the area surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Up and down hills, a long travel for a 14-year-old girl to make. When did she go? With haste. She went immediately. She got the news and she took off. Well, where did she go? Well, the verse continues and tells us. that She went not just to any old place in the hill country in Judah. It says she went to the house of Zechariah and she greeted Elizabeth. That was her cousin. Now, who's Zechariah and Elizabeth? You may know that back in the earlier parts of Luke's gospel, he tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. He was in the temple. He had a wife named Elizabeth who was back home. 
they had been barren for many years, well advanced in age, well past child-rearing days, and still no child. And yet Zechariah is in the temple, an angel comes and tells Zechariah, hey, you're going to have a child who will be the forerunner of the Messiah. It was going to be the child John the Baptist. That's going to be your kid. Well, he goes home. He and his wife conceive through natural means, but really in a supernatural way. They're well past childbearing days. And she becomes pregnant. Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. And so Mary takes off and runs 50 to 70 miles down to the hill country to go see her cousin. But did she go to see her cousin just because she was her cousin? I mean, was this her go-to? Was this her BFF? She went down there to hang out. She had some new news and in a day without cell phones and a day without those kinds of things. She has to go and see her in person. Is that why she went? No. She went because the angel told her. That's why she went. It says back in, in verse 36 and 37, but I want to get kind of a running start into this. We saw these verses last week. Look at what it says back in verse 35 of chapter 1. It says, the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then the angel keeps talking and tells Mary this. It says, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is her sixth month with her who is called barren. So the angel tells Mary, hey, you are pregnant with the Son of God. And guess what? Your cousin is pregnant too, down in the hill country of Judah. So when Mary gets this news that she's pregnant, what does she do? With haste, she takes off and goes where the angel told her to go. And she goes down to Judah to Elizabeth's house. Now, why did she go there? What what was God's purpose in that? She went because the angel told her, but what was God's purpose in her going there? You know, many people have, have speculated that Mary went there in order to have some protection. She went there to to let the smoke blow over of this news of her pregnancy so that Joseph wouldn't flip out, so that maybe capital punishment might not be exacted upon her because of the pregnancy that she had. Many have speculated that. But you know what? Though I can't tell you for certain, I don't think that's why she went there at all. Why? Because what is the timing of when she went? When did she go? with haste when she got this news. When did she come back? Later on in Luke 1, we find out she went back when Elizabeth, who was in the six months of pregnancy, gave birth to John in the ninth month. Mary was with Elizabeth from month zero through month three of her pregnancy. Now, why in the world, if it was for her protection, would God send her to a place when she wasn't showing and bring her back when she was? Would that not just enhance the the story, increase the speculation? I don't think it was for her protection. Nowhere in the passage does it tells us she went there for her protection. I think it was for her encouragement is why she went. She just gets this news. She, she, She finds out that she is going to deliver the Son of God into the world. And yet for three months, I mean, I've, I've never carried a child myself. I know it's a surprise to y'all, but I've never had that experience. But in that first trimester, many of you have. You don't, you don't feel the baby move. You don't show that you're pregnant. 
And during that first trimester, isn't it amazing to see the grace of our sovereign Lord who directs her to go to spend time with her cousin, who was the only other person in all of the world at that time who could understand what it was like to have an angel show up and then you turn up pregnant. She goes there to spend time with her cousin, not for her protection, I don't think. She went there for her encouragement. Before she ever could show, before she ever could feel, she would get authentication of her pregnancy. Outside identification as to the identity of her child. Our God is so gracious, he takes care of Mary. He blesses her through the agency of Elizabeth. He sends her to the house. Now, you can imagine the scene. Mary takes off. 50 to 70 miles, 14-year-old, take her about a week. She shows up at the house. Can you imagine rehearsing in your mind? <laughs> What's this going to go like when I show up? I mean, I, I'm told to go, but I, she didn't know what was going to happen. She's probably thinking, I'm really going to have some explaining to do, you know? She's probably wondering what my speech will be that will convince my cousin that I'm not crazy. I mean, I'm going to celebrate her pregnancy, and she's well along, but what, how, what is her response going to be to me? So Mary shows up, and look at what happens. I love it. It says she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth, it's Mary. It's in the Greek. And before she ever gets anything else out, what happens? Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby in her womb leaped. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed in a loud voice. I mean, think of the grace of that from God to Mary, that the way that the Lord is blessing and caring for Mary in this story is just unbelievable what has happening here. The Lord so cares for her that she shows up, she's scared. Will anybody believe me? Am I going to be crazy? Before she ever is able to articulate her story of what's happened, the Lord has gone before her with the Spirit and is causing babies in other people's wombs to leap. I don't know what that was like, but it was something, right? John's leaping in her womb, a reminder that the Spirit will go before Mary's son and will be drawing men and women to himself. John had no interaction with Jesus, didn't know anything. The only way for that baby to leap at the presence of Jesus was for the Spirit to make it happen. And the Lord did that to encourage Mary, I believe, at the identity of the son that was in her womb. Before she ever felt him, before she ever showed, the Lord encouraged her through the blessing of another believer of Elizabeth. Not only did the baby leap but also she exclaims with a loud voice. She doesn't say, Mary, we need to whisper about this because this could be scandalous. It says, no, she exclaimed with a loud voice, Mary, look at you. Blessed are you among all women. In other words, the Lord has shown in tremendous favor upon you. And Mary's going, does she know? Does she know? Yes, she knows because she keeps going. She says, because of the fruit of your womb. She goes on to, to call the fruit of her womb her Lord, the mother of her Lord, Elizabeth says. Now, how could Elizabeth have known that? 
The only way Elizabeth knows that is because the Spirit had gone before her. It says she was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit had revealed this identity of who Jesus was. And why did the Lord have Elizabeth say that? Certainly it benefited Elizabeth. I mean, that was an event that Elizabeth would have remembered, right? That would have been exciting. But, but think of the, the account that is shared here. No wonder Mary treasured this moment. She's scared. She doesn't know how people will receive her. She thinks she's going to have to live in hiding, and she sees her cousin, and her cousin exclaims with a loud voice, Mary, you are blessed. What a gift from our God. Just the presence of her cousin speaking to the identity of her son was a gift of tremendous, tremendous blessing. You know, Mary had in her womb the Son of God. And so I think it's safe to say that Mary at this point, heading towards that first Christmas, had everything. I mean, what do you get the person who has everything? You have that story in your family right now. What do I give the person that has all the gizmos, gadgets, all the clothes, everything they ever want? What do I give that person for Christmas? What does the Lord give to Mary who has everything in her womb? He gives her the encouragement of a friend gives her the encouragement of another believer who was able to speak truth over her and point her to the reality of what was happening. That's what, that's what God did. And you know what? The God who did that for Mary is a God who is still doing that today. The blessing that the Lord has for you oftentimes will come through the agency of another. It's just the way that it is. When you're going through a challenge, you're going through a struggle, and somebody else shows up, and they just spend some time with you, and they pray with you, and they just listen, you know what? That's not just humanity being humanity. You know what that is? That's God caring for your needs. We have evidence of it right here in Luke chapter 1. And when you respond to a friend who is hurting and you send that text or you make that phone call or you show up at their house and you give them that hug or you just listen or you send them a verse or you point them back to Christ in the midst of a struggle, that's not just you being a nice person. That's God delivering his blessing through you. That's the way that it works. God does these kinds of things. This is what his blessing looks like. We see it right here inside of this passage of Scripture. You know, I uh, was thinking about just the, the reality of our lives, and when we have something significant happen, um, you know, we, and, and, it's, and it's good and we share it, you know, the joy just grows. I mean, how many of you last night went to some form of social media to say that your quarterback won the Heisman? Why'd you do that? Because joy shared multiplies, Right? You have something exciting happens, you share that, and you're pumped up. And this is why when your baby is born, you send out announcements. And it's why when you're graduating from school, you send out invitations. You want to share that joy because joy shared multiplies. But you know what? Something else happens. The, the grief that we go through, sometimes we're like, you know, I'll share my joy, but I'll conceal my grief, thinking that if I conceal it, I'll contain it, and it'll get smaller. But you know what happens when we conceal our grief? It tends to grow. The Lord did not want Mary to be stuck. The joy that she was experiencing, he wanted that to be multiplied. The grief that she was concealing, he wanted that to be minimized. And so he has her go and spend time with her cousin. And you know what? That same thing happens with us. 
doesn't it? I mean, you could share stories in your own life, but I was reminded of a couple of different stories this week of the power of presence in the life of people. One of those, those stories comes from the Middle East, actually. It comes from Israel. Uh, there is a, you know, some of you may be familiar with Young Life ministry here in our community or around the state. Young Life has ministry all over the world, including in the Middle East. There's actually a Young Life chapter in the town of Nazareth, and they have t-shirts that say, doing high school ministry where Jesus went to school. I mean, it's just pretty great, right? So, um, but I but, uh, heard this week from the, the Young Life director over there, and uh, he talked about a ministry they have reaching out to uh, special needs kids in that area. And he tells this story about going to the home of a young woman named Susan. He says, I had never seen or experienced anything quite like this. The way that Susan's body convulsed and contorted as she crossed the dusty alleyway behind her house barefoot in an effort to reach the gate as quickly as possible and let us in. Yusuf and I had gone to visit Susan, one of the girls who came to our camp for special needs teens and young adults this past summer. Susan is the young woman there on the left. I hadn't really understood the significance of our visit until I saw her coming to greet us, her feet and hands twisted from a lifelong deformity. Yusuf and I leaned towards her and worried that in her haste she might actually harm herself and we would need to catch her. But in reality, she had full control over her physical body, having learned to adapt over the years. Rather, it was her uncontrolled emotion that spilled forward as she came to receive us. You came, you came, she exclaimed in Arabic. And in her words, the reason for her explosive joy became crystal clear. It was so simple. She was being visited. To most of the world, Susan lives on the edge of obscurity a Palestinian Muslim woman in an ancient town, the town of Jericho, with a restricted entry and exit, who suffers from physical deformities. She and her mother and three sisters live in low-income housing in a dusty part of the city. Susan shares a room with her sisters, and their father left many years ago with no explanation to the family. In a culture that often tries to hide and shame those with special needs, it's tragically typical for a man to abandon his family in search of another without a child like Susan whom he decided he could not accept. Needless to say, he never visits, but we did. And oh, what a simple but profound celebration it was. Everyone available sat with us except one sister who stood beside Susan and gently held a cup to her lips so that she could drink, unable to do so with her twisted hands. She would sip and smile and her face beaming with pride, well aware that she was the reason for our visit, that she was worthy of our time. We talked about camp. Yusuf and I had moist eyes as we realized that we might well be the first people to ever visit this precious child of God, this woman marginalized by the world but magnified by Jesus. There were words that passed between us. Susan and her sisters chatted in Arabic with Yusuf. Susan recounted all she could remember about summer camp, no doubt for the thousandth time in her family's presence. But I saw no rolling of eyes just smiles and nods all around. There was laughter and giggling. I did my best to toss in the handful of Arabic words I'd learned, but what was so clear is that this was not about language. It was not about words. It was about presence. It was about being there. Our time with Susan was all about the power of visitation carried out in the name of Christ. Friends, I just wanna encourage us today of the power of God working through us to care for people, to encourage them, to bless them, 
as they live out their time in this world. You know, for, for some of us, this application goes this way. It goes that we need to see those around us that God has placed as, as gifts of encouragement and blessing as we go through trouble. But, but also, I think others of us need to be encouraged and reminded that, that God has placed us around others to be his hands and feet, to care, comfort, and encourage in their time of, of trial and struggle because these blessings, they come through believers. There's a second thing I want us to see in this passage, and that is this. Blessed are those who believe. Blessed are those who believe. Now, we see this right there at the end of this passage in verse 45. It says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth makes this declaration. She says, Mary, you have become blessed because you have believed what the Lord has said would happen would happen. Now, the question is, how did Mary know, or how did Elizabeth know that Mary had believed? Now, it's possible that there are parts of this conversation that weren't recorded for us, that Mary said, this is what the angel said, and then I said, I'm your servant, be it done to me as you've said. It's possible that she shared that some other way. But it's also possible, and I think this is a little bit of a humorous reenactment, but it's also possible that as Mary showed up and she said, hi, Elizabeth, that Elizabeth understood when she heard Mary's voice that Mary had believed. Now, why would Elizabeth have understood that? Because when the angel showed up to talk to her husband, Zachariah, he didn't believe, and he, didn't, he wasn't able to talk for nine months. So it is possible that as Mary shows up and as she's talking to him, that Elizabeth elbows Zachariah in the ribs as she says, blessed are you who believe what the word of the Lord had said. <laughs> we don't know that for sure, but it's possible, right? But that's speculation. But the, the reality is that Mary's belief led to her being blessed in this situation. In other words, the Lord offers her this gift and her embracing that gift allows her to receive this blessing because not only did she believe she'd be pregnant, but she took actions consistent with that. She headed down to the hills of Judah. She visited her cousin just as the angel had said, and she is blessed by the Lord when she shows up. And friends, in this, we see a pattern of belief that you and I can follow as well. You know, in our lives, uh, we are invited to believe the Lord and to take him at his word as well. Mary's example really follows a, a, a little bit of a pattern where she heard the word of the Lord about something, and even though she felt in her life and her experience that that might be impossible, she believed it could happen if God said it could happen. And then when she believed it, she took these actions consistent with it. And I think that's a pattern that you and I can follow as well. So let me ask you a question. I want you to think for a moment of an area in your life where you are currently experiencing some, some struggle. It could be an area of, of temptation and sin where you uh, keep wanting to, to fall in this area or an area where you are, are doubting belief that what God has said is true is true in some area. But I want you to think about that area. And, and no, if you've come up with an area, uh, you're not alone. This is a room full of people that all have areas where we're struggling with understanding and embracing, at least in practice, if not in theory, all of what God has said is true is true. So I want you to think of that area. And then I want us to walk through this pattern from Mary's life. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about what do you feel or think about that? In other words, not informed by Scripture, not informed by anything else, but just have, what do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Are you, there's some level that we are tempted to sin because it's attractive to us. Why are we greedy? Because we think that will make us happy. Why do we gossip? Because we think that will be satisfying. 
Why do we give in to this temptation or this sexual sin or whatever it might be? Because we think that that's where life and hope are found. Why do, that's why we do those things. So at some level, when we think about those things, there is a temptation for us to lean in that direction. But the second thing we must do is this. What does God say about it? What Inside of God's word, what does he say about that? And the God who is sovereign not only tells us not to do certain things, but he tells us not to do them because it is for our good. It's for his glory. They're, we were designed for something different. So what does God say is true about that area? And the third thing, are we going to choose to believe what God says is true about that? And lastly, will we take a, and live a life that is consistent with that belief and live inside of that blessing that God is extending. This is the pattern that we see in Mary's, in Mary's life. I want to walk it through with you, not just all of us can apply this as it relates to areas of our, our sin struggle, and we can see how that would fall within that, but let me just take it to the macro level as far as forgiveness in Christ. Because there might be some who are here, when, when we talk about being forgiven in Christ and having eternal life, there are some of you, when you think about that concept, you think or feel about that, that that possibly couldn't be true of me because of what I've done. You think, I've fallen short, I'm, I'm a sinful person, I'm broken, there's no way that God could ever forgive me unless I, my only hope would be to live a really good life and God somehow to see my good outweighing my bad and then we think that's our hope, that's what we feel. But what does God say? God says that our only hope for eternity is found in Christ who came for us while we were still sinners and died on the cross to make, pay the full penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven and connected to him forever. Are we going to choose to believe what God says or what we feel? And if we choose to believe what God says, then will we live a life that is consistent with that, leaning into that, trusting Jesus at his word for our forgiveness and for our hope? Friends, this pattern that Mary gives us is the pattern of somebody who had great faith in God and because of that was blessed. And God's blessing that he wants to offer us today is not found just to those on the nice list. It's found to all of us naughty folks who have a trust and a belief in God. Friends, we see in this passage a couple of things about blessing. The blessing comes to us through believers and that we are blessed as we believe. Friends, will you respond and trust God? It's possible that you're here today. I believe you're here today because the Lord wants us to trust him more. So let's do so now in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunities you give us to follow you and to trust you. Father, we pray that you would be uh, just honored now as we conclude our time with these wonderful children that you have blessed our church with singing songs to you. And we pray that you would be honored now as we respond in our, in our hearts and in our minds to the message of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name.